Thank you, David. Um, and thank you guys for coming along. So you may well find that you're going to hear some errors here, as well as the ones you've missed in the other room. Um, so as David said, uh, my name is Dan O'Neill. I work mainly with uh, Vet Compass at the Royal Veterinary College, and I'm lucky to work with uh, David Church and David Broadbell, two inspirational characters. But along with um, them and the rest of the Vet Compass team, um, we spend a lot of time concentrating on dissemination. I have to say, so far, yesterday and today, there is lots and lots and lots of talk about evidence. Um, and I'm not sure whether we should be talking about publications, because I'm not sure they're necessarily the same thing. And you'll see as we go along why I make that distinction. Um, so first things first, um, in your own mind, come out of my universe, my world, which is VetCompass, and go back into your own world and picture a project you're working on. So it has to be an information-based project, and that can be a little piece of research you're doing, or a big piece of research, or writing a website, or writing an article, or writing a standard operating protocol, right? So in your own world, picture something that's going on in your life, okay? And as we go through this talk, I'm going to tell you about what's happening in my universe and how we're trying to disseminate, but try and keep relating it back to your universe, and then at the end of this, hopefully in your head, you will have a better strategy for your own dissemination. Yeah? Um, so let's crack on. Let's talk about strategies for dissemination. And this has to be properly planned. Yeah? It's really important because unless we disseminate and unless we get some action and unless we get some impact, I don't really see the point of research. I think it's fairly pointless exercise. In fact, maybe that's why they call it academic. Yeah. Um, so we're trying not to be academic. We're trying to be important. Okay, so a thought experiment. This one was first posed in the 1700s, right? Um, and amazingly, this is one I've spent ages pondering over the past couple of years. It sounds simple, but see what you think. Yeah. So a tree falls in a forest. There's a tree. It's fallen. And there's no one around to hear it, no human, no animal, no audiometric device, no recording. Does it make a sound? What do we think? Yeah? Makes a sound? Doesn't make a sound? So it doesn't make a sound, but it does make a sound. Yeah? Does make a sound. Okay? We're happy with that? Yeah? Okay. I don't think it makes a sound. That made a bash. Molecules vibrate. The vibrations come up to my ear. My eardrum vibrates. Hammer, anvil, stapes, all these little lads crack off each other. Electrical impulse goes down my brain. My brain creates some sort of sensation, and I call it sound. That sound is in there. It's a perception. It's in my universe. All that did was create vibrations in the air. Let's extend this metaphor into evidence-based veterinary medicine. If a study finding is published and no one reads it or acts on it, can it be called evidence? Is it really evidence? This is important. So there are so many studies that are published and they go into esoteric journals and they sit on shelves and no one does anything with them. And we call it evidence. I think that's daft, absolutely daft. And in my opinion, 
stuff can only be called evidence once it's acted on. Up until then, it's just a finding. It's just words on paper, pixels on the screen. Yeah? Um, and as David said, I'm a primary practitioner. I'm not a referral person. Um, so in primary practice, any of you that are in primary practice, you know that everything has to have a purpose. Yeah? We will not do things in primary practice unless it does something. Yeah? It is not academic. Yeah? And the whole primary practice attitude, we have taken that and put it into that compass. So there's nothing that we will do that doesn't have a purpose. And that purpose has to be impact, and that impact is animal welfare improvement. And we will not ask our vets to do anything that doesn't have a purpose. And unless the purpose is there to improve their lives or their processes, we will not ask them to do it because it is a pointless thing to do. So why is all this important? Well, it's important because of the volume of information that's been published. Yeah? And this is huge. I went Googling. You couldn't find information on the number of veterinary papers. But there's lots of information on the number of human papers. So by the year 2000, uh, we had 25 million papers published. By the year 2009, there was 50 million papers published. Surely we know everything there is to know in the world. We're awash with evidence, aren't we? It's a whole overload. 35,000 journals, and probably more since then because the online ones just keep cropping up all the time. 2.5 million new papers every year. Surely we know everything there is to know in the world. Global scientific output doubles. But how many of these papers ever get acted on? And therefore, how many can we actually say is evidence? Surely it's a publications overload. And really, this becomes really important in our project because at my stage of life, I've, I've re-entered the whole academic thing. After two decades in practice, I came in, did a PhD. David was my supervisor, yeah? But it's impact that's important. When I look over my shoulder, he's getting closer and he's getting more interested in me all the time. His name is the Grim Reaper. I haven't got time to mess about doing publications for the sake of publications. He's getting closer. So this is really important. Science seems to be about publications, whereas everything we do is trying to be about evidence. And I'd like to say there is a distinction between those two. So just to give you some of the background of that compass, that compass is, is as David said yesterday, it is a large project gathering evidence, yeah? But really, we take it as a philosophy, and that philosophy is that um, somehow we can gather electronic patient evidence, records from lots and lots of practices, merge these, and then use that evidence, uh, use that information to generate studies that result in changes in animal welfare improvements. Then we can call it evidence. And the more changes we can get, then the more entitled we are to use the word evidence. And that means dissemination is hugely important. So again, thinking about your own projects that you have in your mind in your universe, not in my universe, in your world, because we all inhabit a different world. Um, sometimes these worlds collide, but we all inhabit our own world. Um, so keep trying to think about how you can disseminate and get more impact from your study, the one you have in your mind. So just to set the scene a little bit on that for Compass, uh, I got these information off our database last night. They're even newer than what David told you yesterday. So actually, they're slightly bigger. Um, so we have, at the moment, 498 practices actually with data in the database. There's about 600 more stacked up, ready to come in. Um, in the UK, it's estimated there's about 5,000 practices. That includes uh, equine practices, large animal practices. So it means even across all practices, we have 10% already in that compass and about 20% signed up. But even that 498 practices already gives us vast amounts of data. 5.8 million unique animals, 
36 million episodes of care, obviously animals visit several times, over 100 million treatments. Yeah. Um, so VetCompass is currently the largest bar none primary care merge database in the world. This thing is huge and the opportunities for evidence-based veterinary medicine from it are huge. Um, and truly now primary care data is entering the big data age, which is superb. Um, from those data, we have lots and lots of animals, so 2.7 million dogs, 1.8 million cats, 400,000 rabbits. So the days of studies based on 20 or 30 or 100 animals or 200 animals kind of are gone. These, these, these are really big data. So what do we do with those data? Well, we have to generate some publications. As David said, my PhD just finished in 2013, so, so VetCompass is still really a baby. Yeah, this is really early days and it's such hard work to get publications out um, and there is such a time lag on them, but already we're doing very well. So already we have uh, eight publications on general morbidity and mortality. Um, so these are looking at overall indices of animals, top disorders, longevity. Two papers on therapeutics, translational paper, one paper already published. Um, lots of papers on specific disorders in dogs and also some on specific disorders in cats. So that's 25 papers already out there. But if they're just papers, then I still don't count that as evidence. So we really need to be doing something with these papers. So let's pick one. We'll just pick the first one on the list because this was the main one for my PhD. The PhD was really aiming to look at disorders in dogs and cats. So let's look at this and we'll just explore how, how we tried to disseminate this paper and to turn it into evidence. And again, keep thinking about the, the study in your head whatever it is, and how you might, even if you have one way of improving your dissemination to get impact, then that means you've achieved something today. So let's look at that. Um, so this particular paper was uh, just looking at the top disorders in dogs. Hey, this is amazing, right? 2014, we finally found out the top disorders in dogs in the UK. Isn't that amazing? 2006, the dog genome was sequenced. Boxer dog called Tasha. And it took eight years later from when we knew every single DNA base in the dog to discover, well, actually, now we know the top disorder diagnosed in dogs in the UK. Isn't that crazy, isn't it? Evidence-based veterinary medicine has got a lot of this stuff on its head. So we were also asking the question whether purebred dog health was um, better or worse than crossbreed dog health. In other words, were common disorders more common in purebreds? And the, 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 obviously the knowledge is that, yes, of course, the purebred dogs are way worse. We knew that. But really, we were aiming to quantify how, how much difference there was. But everyone knew the answer. Um, so top disorders, anyone who works in practice would know this. But it's amazing the number of times I ask this question before I put up the slide and I get told heart disease, syringomyelia, atopy, hip dysplasia. Um, it be probably is a lot of the cause of otitis externa, but it's ears. If you talk to any vet, and I, I spent two decades standing in a veterinary practice, I know every day it's going to be ears, anal glands, teeth. But by 2014, up until then, we had no paper that said that. Incredible. So if we split up each of those bars into purebreds and crossbreds, we know the purebred bar is going to be much higher, correct? Wow. Isn't that the beauty of your science? This is when I really got hooked on evidence-based veterinary medicine. You can ask a question and you don't necessarily get the answer you expect. Yeah? So when we looked across, this little pointer doesn't work on the screen, that's why I'm not using it. But when, you looked at, when we looked at the top 20 disorders, there was only three of them 
that there was actually a significantly higher level in purebreds and crossbreds. So by and large, there was no real difference. So, ooh, wonderful. No problem with purebred dogs. But as always, it's not as simple as that. Purebred dogs aren't a thing. That's where this whole question was wrong. Um, purebred dogs are a whole gamut of chihuahuas up to Newfoundlands. And really, the issue is at breed level. So when we broke down, this is just a thing was getting crazy if we had 20, but just a top seven. You can see for each disease, there are different breeds that are predisposed and there are different breeds that are protected. The yellow at the first bar is the crossbred. So we can see for otitis externa that we have the blue, so we have Labradors and German Shepherds. Not really much of a surprise. We can see when it comes to bad teeth, we have a runaway winner, the Yorkshire Terrier. How many people do dentals on Yorkshire Terriers? Yeah. Um, so, and again, these are not surprising results, but it starts to explain really this whole pedigree dog thing kind of got it all wrong. It's the breeds that have the issues. And when people say, what's the best breed to buy? Well, that depends upon what disease you're most interested in. Um, but it isn't wonderful, finally, to have some information. Yeah. But again, this is still information, so you somehow have to disseminate it. The aim is to improve animal welfare. We have to use this information to improve animal welfare. So we've kind of developed within Vet Compass um, our own strategy for dissemination. Yeah? Um, and if you were trying to conceptualize it, you would start with the, the concept, the research question, and then you'd work your way through. Now, we're, we're showing this in a linear fashion. It obviously isn't. Um, because there's lots of feedback loops, right? But even at the concept, it is written into the constitution of Vet Compass that no study can begin unless there is an a priori written statement that explains how the study will improve animal welfare. So if a student or if a PhD person or if a pharmaceutical firm or if a veterinary practice wants us to spend a lot of time doing some study and it's just for academic interest and there is no way that, that they can explain why that will benefit animal welfare, we will not do the study. Why would you waste time? He's getting closer. Why am I going to waste time? He's getting closer. Right? There is no way we will waste time on it. So even already at the point of concept, we are thinking about the dissemination and the action at the end. You're already planning how you will improve animal welfare. So the dissemination starts the moment you think of the question. Yeah? Um, so then you go through your phases of the design, which we've heard a lot about yesterday, how we will do the study, um, where we will publish it, and then the dissemination and the application. In other words, how we get some impact. So this whole thing is a journey, yeah? and we're starting and we're working our way through the journey. The first parts of this journey um, are in my world if I'm the researcher, whoever the researcher is. The final parts I'm trying to get out of my universe and get into the universes of owners or vets or whoever I'm trying to get some impact from. Yeah? So we can look at this as going from my universe as a researcher into the many different universes of all the different people that we want to have some impact with. So we're going from the universe into the multiverse. And this is really important. Most researchers stop at the point of publishing. Once the paper is published, whew, done. They're still in their own universe. They haven't started getting into other people's worlds, other people's lives, and trying to improve things. And when we're talking about multiverse, we're talking about animals' lives as well. So um, for this particular study, this is the example we're working where through. We have a paper. It says, what are the common disorders in dogs? That's good information. It tells us whether purebred dogs are different than crossbred dogs. That is very good information. It's 
purebred dogs have been pilloried a bit, and it tells us about some issues with breeds. So we set about um, developing our dissemination strategy. So this begins right at the start with pedigree dogs exposed, yeah, which was one of the reasons I left practice, um, August 2008. Horrendous program, one hour, changed the whole face of, of pedigree dogs and purebred dogs in the UK. Um, we got uh, RSPCA support for the study, and that in itself was critical because the RSPCA are a wonderful route to dissemination and to impact. So all your collaborators along the way, you choose them wisely. Yeah? You don't randomly hop into bed. You choose who you hop into bed with. Yeah? Um, you then, we then worked our way through. It was done as part of my PhD, and we published in PLOS One. PLOS One is open access. Again, you choose carefully where you publish. Yeah. Open access costs money. It's a real problem because we haven't got that money built in. But on future projects that we're doing, we're trying to get money set aside at the outset for open access publication. Yeah. So where possible, that's part of our strategy. And then we'll talk now about the two final bits, dissemination and um, application. So if we're going to disseminate, you need to decide who you're going to disseminate to. The typical researcher approach is, I am disseminating to myself and my peer group, so other researchers, yeah? And that's arguably okay. However, if you're going to change the world, that's probably not the way to do it because your peer group, other researchers, are a tiny little world, yeah? So you need to get out to the wider world. So with us, our target group were veterinary practitioners because they're the ones who give us the data and they're the ones who look after the animals. So they're a really important target group. Veterinary bodies, really important because they can make decisions. Um, veterinary academia, also very important within the research arm, and non-veterinary academia. So these are important groups. But we're still in quite small worlds, so you have to extend this out a little bit. The purebred dogs, each study we do has a different focus. This one was on purebreds and crossbreds, so kennel clubs and breed clubs are really important. And this was not an easy sell with the kennel club to begin with because I was RSPCA funded. So RSPCA and Kennel Club after pedigree dogs exposed weren't necessarily the best of friends. Yeah, things have improved, I think, a bit since then. Um, but it was really important to get the Kennel Club involved. Yeah. Um, welfare bodies, absolutely critical. Because after all, this was deemed to be a major welfare issue, the pedigree dogs exposed issue. Regulatory and government, very, very key. And following on from this, there were some changes. Um, and then probably the most important of all, and the one that virtually every academic ignores, the general public. And coming from a primary care background, I knew well, refer, um, academia would say our target market is referral vets and even vets in practice, if they would sully their hands talking to the vets in practice, yeah? Um, because it's good for their souls to mingle with the lessers, right? So, so that's our target market. We can change the world by talking to them. A dog on average visits its practice for maybe two or three visits a year. Each of those might last 10 to 15 minutes. So that's less than an hour a year at the veterinary practice for most dogs. Where are they the rest of the time? They're with their owners. Duh. Who's our target audience if we're going to change animal welfare? It has to be owners. But most referrals projects don't go after owners. We did. And then the final one was international, because obviously this is a UK project, but the problem isn't UK-based. Uh, it has to be international, so we tried to spread the word externally. So all of these groups, we tried to approach them, tried to con make contact with them, tried to get them to accept the findings, which isn't necessarily easy, especially with things like kennel clubs, when you're 
making comments about certain breeds. And then once they accept them, then you try to get them to apply the findings. Now, I've shown this as kind of a, a list, as if you went to each one of these, but it isn't. There's a thing, you may have come across it, a thing called systems thinking, which is where um, it's much more strategic. Systems thinking means that everything is connected. And what we just tried to do was to sit in the middle of the system. So by working with the RSPCA, you'll see later, the RSPCA can then, they have a large Facebook group, for example. So we could contact the general public via the RSPCA. So you could work from one to the other and use the system. So let's have a look at some of these examples, vet practices, and we'll just click through how we might have contacted them. So vet practices, we already had 500 um, practices participating, so all these practices are involved, so that means we can contact them, and we go and give talks to different groups. Uh, we send out newsletters to groups, so you can inform the vet practices directly. Um, you can also use the peer-reviewed publications. Um, and these are useful. They're very, very important to have as a basis for dissemination. I'm not convinced necessarily that they're the be-all and the end-all. I'm not certain how many people ever read full papers out there in the real world. Um, but they're very important to have in place. Um, and because it was open access, you know, we could uh, disseminate the link. Um, what is much better if you're contacting vet practices is um, vet times. Um, uh, Kennel, Kennel Scope is a magazine that's sent out by the Kennel Club to every veterinary practice in the country. Um, vets read these. I read these. Yeah? Vet Times is superb. Um, it's a wonderful way of keeping up with the world, and it is a wonderful way of disseminating information. So we use these a lot. Um, and then obviously at congresses, um, such as BSAVA, where you go and you give talks. And, and these are all ways of communicating. Um, academia, obviously very important. Um, so the peer-reviewed publications probably are more important here because they will get cited in other people's studies. Um, and we do a lot of teaching within the VET Compass. Obviously, we're embedded within the epidemiology unit at the Royal Veterinary College. So we teach undergrads. Um, so you can spread the message to the new, and people we're talking today about. If you're going to influence the world, the newer graduates are the ones you can influence. The older ones, I think it was you, Sarah, wasn't it, I was talking about uh, The older ones are the ones that are kind of more fixed in their attitudes. Um, and we do a lot of using um, this paper. We've used it to get cited by lots of different PhD students as a kind of basic prevalence data for their particular studies. And now within VetCompass, we're kind of embedding it as chapters within lots of PhDs. Um, and, of course, conferences, where, again, you can talk to audiences that can't really run away, like you guys. Um, veterinary body is really important. Uh, every veterinary body now in the UK has, has uh, given formal statements of support for um, Vet Compass, and the veterinary bodies are keen to get information that they can then use to formulate their own policies and, and to inform. Um, the veterinary bodies often, such as uh, BVA, publish their own journals, so we can, we can uh, disseminate via those. Um, and then obviously at Congresses, BSAVA has been very, even though BSAVA is not a funder of um, VetCompass, it has been very, very, very positive towards VetCompass. Um, so last year we had eight oral presentations at BSAVA. Um, the year before we had an entire stream on pedigree dogs, all based on this paper and the subsequent papers that came out from it. It's a wonderful way of disseminating information. Non-vet academia, we've also tried to work with, um, increasingly with humans, um, trying to get uh, links between the, the veterinary world and the human world. So that prevalence paper and the subsequent longevity paper formed the chapter in the recent book on aging. Uh, 
working with some colleagues in America, a paper has just been accepted. We're working with the NHS on their data mining. NHS, you're probably aware of the disaster there is on data collection from doctor surgeries where um, it was very badly promoted to the public um, and they struggle to get access to large volumes of data. So they're now happy to work and develop systems on our data. Um, so we've had a number of MSc students in, within the NHS sector working on our data. Um, and then also teaching at the London School of Hygiene and their master's program. Um, welfare bodies, absolutely key. Um, and we're obviously lucky the RSPCA funded my PhD, so they're very keen for it to promote. Um, they'll promote it on their website. They have, um, they have a Facebook group with 288,000 followers. What a wonderful way of disseminating to the public. And we've put lots and lots of messages out through their Facebook group. Um, and that means you are influenced in impacting, changing how people think at a very, very large scale. That is way more effective than publishing a, just a paper. You're not going to get 288,000 people reading a clinical paper. Um, so they'll pump out messages all the time, and they are delighted to do it. Uh, Dogs Trust, um, who currently are using that pre prevalence paper as uh, the basis of trying to prioritize which disorders are the most important. Somebody today was talking about prioritization. Um, UFO, um, again, UFO, in fact, UFO ended up having a page on their website um, where uh, we had a vet compass person writing the pages for their genetic diseases page, and a lot of those diseases were selected based on the dog prevalence paper. So you can see how this systems thinking works, and you get embedded into other people's universes. You're leaving your universe, and you're getting into their universes. So you have a multi, multi, multiverse approach. And obviously the Kennel Club Charitable Trust, who now fund my role at the RVC. Um, Kennel Club and breeders, these guys are key um, because they're the ones who choose which breeds to breed, which dogs to mate together. Uh, they're the ones who will decide whether they're going to HIP score or DNA test. So absolutely key for a lot of the decisions we'll do. Um, and stories about dogs are lapped up by the, the dog press. Um, and breeders read all this dog press. So you can get online stuff. Um, the breed clubs, each of them, um, they're really focused. I think maybe it's why any of you working in practice probably end up hating breeders because they're, they're so zoomed in on their own world and their own breed. But if you can get into their universe and be seen as an ally, somebody helping their breed, they will be your best friends in the world. And, and the breed clubs now are the best friends in the world to that compass because they see us as finally shedding some light, but without judgment just shedding light and information on their breed. Um, and we have a lot of collaborations. That dog prevalence paper then led on to a study on Cavaliers, which was published. We have another one on Pugs, another one just upcoming on Border Terriers. Um, so one thing leads to another, leads to another. Um, and you get to do presentations, direct presentations to all of these breed health coordinators. There's a new organization called Dog Wellnet that you may or may not have heard of, which really is every kennel club in the world, but you can see Vet Compass in there as well with some of the insurance companies. Uh, and really it's Vet Compass supplying information that then all these kennel clubs across the world will use to help make their decisions. That's impact, yeah? Publishing a paper is an impact. It's the dissemination really is where it's all about. And regulatory, really important. Um, obviously, the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons um, give full support, but also the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons, um, through Royal College, well, through this organization that we're part of now in this Congress we're at, need evidence. So they will see um, this sort of information is really important. And even on the practice standard scheme, um, 
you know, you will see the recommendation that practices should be sharing data with data organisations such as Vet Compass, and this is written into the practice standards scheme. DEFRA and APCO. Um, APCO is the Associated Parliamentary Group in Animal Welfare. Vet Compass is now the source of information for APCO, and APCO is the one that then recommends to Parliament what changes they should do. So Vet Compass was part of the decision to introduce uh, microchipping regulations, for example. Um, so it's really important to get involved in all of these and get into their universes. Um, and this paper is the standard one that led on to the founding of the, the Dog Breeding Lobby Group, which is a large group with lots of charities such as PDSA working together. Um, and obviously the Kennel Club itself. This one I had to put, show you. This, this was released last week. Yeah? We've had so many comments back from people saying, wow, I never knew the Kennel Club had a sense of humour. So they've released a poem and they put this on their, their um, Facebook page, on their Twitter feed, and they have a huge access as well. Um, and again, you can see the last two lines, top diseases in dogs, ear infection, tooth disease, anal sac impaction. So suddenly there's a paper, two years after release, still impacting the world and still having the message being passed out, but doing it in very creative ways. Um, and I never knew I was a poet, but I part wrote that. So, but the picture, the picture is just lovely. I think it's a really cool way of disseminating messages. It is not the academic way. It is not the way that, that universities generally work, but it's the way they should work if they want to change the world. Um, and then finally, owners. Uh, one of the ways we can get at owners is via, via our practices. So we give practices information. They will often have information on their websites. Um, and then obviously the Vet Compass website itself, we put a whole series of interactive tools where um, owners can go on and just click on buttons and see what are the top disorders. This is exactly this paper in an interactive tool on our website, all open access. Um, we have a library there. Obviously, a lot of the papers, we try to get them open access. If they're not open access, we put the pre-publication pre version on our website so that the not the nice fancy one that's all formatted, but the, the paper in Word is still available. Um, and then we have a learn zone where you have little um, talks, um, slideshows like this with a voiceover on them. Um, general media loves this. So the, the newspapers, sometimes they'll stitch you up a little bit, but they love having these stories. Um, so you can get the telegraph, the mail. Golly, imagine the reach of that. Could you actually pay for that sort of advertising? Yeah, it's incredible, but these guys will do it for nothing. Um, it's just a matter of getting out there. And television, if you're willing to go on telly and talk about your subject, again, they're delighted to have you on. Social media, absolutely huge. Um, and we've done a lot on social media and just putting videos out on YouTube, which costs nothing. You can just make these at your laptop. You just download Audacity off the online thing, and you can do these little videos and put them out there. Um, these, these things we, we've um, started working on. Uh, these were developed with uh, Medivet. Um, and this is the entire dog paper as one infograph. Yeah. Cartoony, very bright. This stuff um, is wonderful on social media. Um, and we're following on from that one. We did, did, um, did a series of them on dogs and cats, overall disorders and how long they live. Um, absolutely superb way of disseminating messages. And then finally, internationally, uh, we started to spread this out. So Vet Compass is now up and running in Australia, um, where all the Australian colleges have come together. Um, in the UK, it started as just ORVC, mainly because there was no proof of concept. You wouldn't get all the universities working together to support one PhD. Now that the proof of concept is done, other countries will follow on. So we have um, Sweden has just started. They're going to call their one NVIDA. 
Denmark has a pilot one, and we've got three separate centers in the US um, just all starting um, to trial. Um, so this thing, is, this thing is huge. In Australia, they've sold their Vet Compass thing to the general public based on that paper. We can find out what is wrong with our Australian dogs. They did it in the UK. We can do it here. Join us, um, which is a, a wonderful message. So how have we got on with our dissemination strategy? Well, we've kind of done well. We've kind of got to here, and what we're trying to do is get on the route to evidence. Have we got there? Well, if, if, if we were doing a, a kind of a heat map, I think we've got probably about halfway through the end bit, but we haven't got full impact. And I don't think we'll ever get full impact because the more time goes by, the more you can continue to disseminate, the more you can continue to embed, and the more you can continue to get into other people's universes. And that is the goal. So going back to your thought that you had in your head at the start about your project, try and think how you can disseminate your project to get impact. Think about your target audience and think about how you can be as effective as you possibly can. And you'll notice almost none of the stuff I've put up there cost a penny. Yeah, all the social media stuff is free. The infographics were done uh, with a veterinary practice. They didn't cost us anything. The newspaper stuff is all free. Um, it doesn't have to cost money. It just has to, you just have to be creative in how you think and be open, share as much as you possibly can. Thank you very much for your attention.